0: Christmas, everybody. Nothing says Merry Christmas like a little Darth Vader, right? Some of you, you weren't expecting that, welcome to Hope Elum. glad you're here, uh, I guarantee there's no other church in the city of Des Moines that started with Rogue One for the sermon today, I'll guarantee you that. Life is full of interruptions, uh, is it not? Some of you are like, what in the world is going on? Well, this has a lot to do with where we're going today. The clip you just saw is from Rogue One, it's one of those offshoot Star Wars movies. By the way, any Star Wars fans out there, just give a little hoot and holler wherever you're at, okay, awesome, got a, quite a few of you out there. So, here's the thing about this, Rogue One is not new, some of you are like, like, is there a new? No, it's a few years ago. Uh, but here's the thing I love about uh, Rogue One. Number one, it's just great to start the sermon that way. And number two, the main character of that Rogue One uh, offshoot movie uh, is this heroine, and her name is Jen Erso. And you might uh, realize that in the last several Star Wars films that have come out, there's been this. Shift, And the hero of those stories is not some big macho man, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger type person, but they have made this shift and you see this in superhero movies and, and, and all the sort of uh, cultural movies that are coming out where the hero, the, actually the heroine, is a, in this case, a quiet, young, unassuming, rather ordinary, young girl not just in Rogue One, but in the other Star Wars films as well, and they end up being the one to bring balance to the galaxy. They, they end up being the one that is the true hero of the story. In fact, in this Rogue One description, to, to describe it, this movie, one of the key themes, the major plot lines of the story, they say this. Now imagine you're hearing this, knowing what you know about the scripture reading that was just read about our Christmas story, and just receive this. This episode, brings together ordinary people who choose to do extraordinary things and in doing so become parts of something greater than themselves just think about that for a second right I think Star Wars has been reading their Bible, whoever has been doing this, right? There is a quiet, young, unassuming, rather ordinary girl from an ordinary place that is swept up into a story that's bigger than her and they bring in some of these ordinary characters and they come in and they are swept up into this large story to make a difference in the world around them. I don't know where we've heard that story before, right? Maybe in our scripture reading for today. Never doubt those who are young. Never doubt the ability of God to take ordinary people and use them to do extraordinary things. Never doubt those who are young and available to God. The power of youth, whether it's on stage in a Christmas program, whether it's in your church, in Star Wars, or in Luke chapter One, God has a way of breaking into our stories. Just a show of hands quick as we get started this morning. How many of you, uh, and if you're online too, you can raise your hand. How many of you love to be interrupted? Does anybody like to, looking forward to getting interrupted? No, none of us do, right? But the reality of life is that it is one interruption after another. And a lot of times we think of interruptions as bad things, but sometimes they're actually good things. All the different moments in our lives have made us who we are. Are. You might think that interruptions are constantly bad, and we know that's the case after these last two years, one giant interruption of the pandemic. I don't have to convince you of that, but it always seems like this time of year that the world has a way of reminding us that it's broken, that it's dark, that we don't live on the other side of heaven yet. Certainly we know that's the case with the recent disasters in Kentucky and surrounding states, over 70 people dead, many more wounded, and our hearts grieve for that and for the loss of life. This is a picture I saw uh, online that another pastor I know posted. You might notice something missing about that church. That's Emmanuel Baptist Church. Sometimes God has a way of reminding us maybe we should be a little grateful, well a lot of grateful, for waking up this morning for a lot of us with a roof over our head, knowing where we're going to get our next meal having clothes to put on our back, food to put on the table, money to provide. There are people this morning literally that have nothing, and our hearts go out to them. And I was thinking about that. Over the last couple years, sometimes I'm reminded of things, or they pop up on Facebook, or I look back on my calendar. There always seems to be some pain and heartache that leads right up to the Christmas season. It's never a good time to do a funeral, but it seems like the last several years we do funerals. People lose those that they love leading up to the Christmas season season. Met with a family yesterday that is probably in the last few days of the gentleman's life. And I don't think it is ironic, and I find no delight in that, but I don't think it's ironic that it's near Christmas. Because a lot of people ask, I mean, it's Christmas. Where's God in the midst of a disaster like that? Where's God in the midst of whatever you're going through this morning? Whatever you brought in here? Where is God in the midst of all of that? And because of Christmas. We can say without a doubt, here, God is here, closer than we would ever know, right in the middle of it, amen? Right in the middle of the mess. Maybe you've never thought about it this way, but when Mary held Jesus for the very first time close to her chest, I'm sure she was the first person in human history to ever to be able to probably feel the heartbeat of God. Think about that. We don't have a God that's off in heaven somewhere detached from the brokenness and the pain and the heartache of our world. We have a God that is at ground zero, that is already there, healing and mourning with those who mourn and hurting with those that have lost. And so we hurt with them. That is our call as the church. And yet for a lot of us, we think, oh, interruptions like that, it's God's fault. And every interruption in our life must be bad. But if you think about it, you are who you are. Because of a series of divine interruptions that God has put in your life. Does God cause all these things to happen? No. But can God use terrible, difficult situations for his glory? Absolutely. Amen? Amen. Not all interruptions are bad. The reality of interruptions is they just don't leave us the same. Some interruptions are good. You meet your first friend in school. You, you meet your future spouse, your best friend. You find the job that you always long for. You get married. You, ha- you have your first child. What are these interruptions? A lot of you are here today because of a divine interruption because you were going along living your life, and God invaded your story. You would not be here today, you would not be who you are and have the love and the peace and the joy that you have in your heart unless God would not have divinely interrupted your story for good. You were going on a certain track and God intervened, but God showed up, amen? And you are here and we are who we are because of that. God interrupted your story, and whether positive or negative, interruptions don't leave us the same, but the truth is this, how we handle Interruptions will ultimately determine the course of our lives I want you to think about that. Maybe the things that are happening to you, the things that will happen to you, that you see as obstacles, are actually divine opportunities that God is going to use to mold together and write the story that is your life. Maybe interruptions are not to be avoided, but to be embraced. And nobody knows that better than a young girl. From Nazareth. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to learn about a story of interruptions. This is actually part two of a two-part series. This is the, the sequel uh, to last week because we were in Luke 1 last week, if you were here worshiping with us as well. And we talked about the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Elizabeth becomes pregnant, and that's where we pick up the story here in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. So parallel to that story, we read, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with who has become known as John the Baptist. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pled to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, I know it's easy to read the Christmas story, and these are all very familiar, and you go to church and you hear the same story over and over, and so I think it's very important for us this morning to take a step back and get some perspective. Imagine that you are the God of the universe, and for hundreds and thousands of years, you have been plotting... The greatest invasion into enemy territory, into the earth, that you could. It is a world that is broken and dark and full of sin and violence and destruction. And you are going to rescue the planet. You are going to rescue the people that you love from sin and death and the power of hell. And you have been planning it. And you're God, and so you can do anything You you could just blow the whole thing up and start over. You could also send legions of of heaven's angel armies down and, and kick the Romans out and take back over Jerusalem and take over the world. You could do anything. And so imagine that you've been plotting this now for thousands of years and the angels are probably on pins and needles waiting like, okay, what's the the big plan going to be? And so one day, you know, God puts out the memo and it comes over the loudspeakers, you know, meet God around the throne at three in the afternoon and all the angels get around and they come down and they all gather around and take a knee and they all huddle together and God says, okay, gang, here's the plan. Okay? And they're like, okay, what is it? I'm ready. I'm ready to go to battle. I'm ready to do whatever. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's the big salvation plan for the whole world. Here's how I'm going to rescue the planet. You ready for it? I, the God of the universe, am going to become an infant. And I'm going to put myself inside of a, like a 14-year-old girl. She's, she's not going to be impregnated, but the Holy Spirit We'll do that. Everybody will understand that. It'll be great. And, and, then, and then I'll be born, but I'm not going to be born in like a fancy palace or a castle. I think I'll just be born in like a feeding trough for cattle. And then I'll grow up and live kind of a quiet, unassuming life as a carpenter for the next 30 years. What do you guys think? <laughs> Crickets, right? Think about that. Silence in the throne room of heaven. That's it. God, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Here's my question for you. How big is your God? Is your God of a cute, nice little Christmas story, or is your the God, the the general of heaven's armies that put that aside so that you could know that he is close to you? How do you reach people? You become one of them. You go to where they are. And he could have come in and kicked out the Romans and done that whole thing. And we would go, wow, God. But we never would have been able to have a relationship with him. That's what God is calling you to. To say yes to him this Christmas. And yet here's what I love about the story of Mary. Is that Mary gives us three key ideas about how we can embrace interruptions like that. God knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he starts with a teenage girl. And so as we dive into Mary's story, I think there's a lot of things we can learn about how to let God interrupt our lives well. The first one is this, let God invade your ordinary. Let God invade your Ordinary. If you take a step back and look at that first few lines of Mary's story, a lot of times we skip over that, but that's one of the most important parts. Mary is from Nazareth, and if you don't know anything about Nazareth, it's not exactly a thriving metropolis or something like that, metropolitan area. Me- Nazareth is literally a town of nobodies in the middle of nowhere. I was thinking about how to describe it, and I really apologize any of you that live in Nebraska, that have ever spent time in Nebraska, that have put up with Nebraska on your way to the Rocky Mountains, whatever it is, that's the best way I can describe it. Nazareth is basically western Nebraska. Okay, I apologize, but once you get through Omaha and Lincoln, it's like, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a Hawkeye fan. There's like four trees and that's it. You know, you just go and you're like I got to get to Colorado. So, that's Nebraska. And that's Nazareth. There's not a lot going on there. I grew up in Story City, small town up in North Central Iowa, and there's several towns around there and I and I I love this little cute town of Randall. And Randall had a pop machine. I mean, that's how, that's how small Randall was. I mean, you know, if you don't have a Casey's and you're a small town in Iowa, like, you're really small. There's nothing going on there, okay? That was Nazareth. There's no Casey's in Nazareth. There's no McDonald's. It's nothing. So not only is Mary from nowhere, she's a nobody. You have to understand on the, the cultural ladder of society and the, the, the rung of who's most important, women, Way down here. That's how it was. And you only had value and worth if you were married to a man and then you could have prominence or maybe have a job, but you were pretty much stuck unless you were connected to a man. So Mary's a nobody from nowhere. And not only that, biblical scholars will say she's maybe 13, 14, maybe 15 years old. Can you imagine? Mary's not like Mary, the Saint Mary Bible hero. She is a quiet, young, unassuming girl that, as we'll find out, is faithful to God. Mary is the least likely person in the least likely place from the most least likely, unlikely of circumstances to be used by God. And what area of your life do you think is too ordinary for God to break into this morning? Some of you walked in here and said, I, I can't relate to any of this stuff because all this Bible stuff just seems too good to be true, and it's all cute, and that's all great. The Christmas story is a divine mess. From the smell in the manger all the way to the scandal of a 14-year-old girl being pregnant and nobody knows who did it, the Christmas story is a mess. It's for you. God is willing to step into your mess, step into your ordinary. And if, and if you're like Mary, sometimes we can kind of fall into that trap as well. For Mary, she's like, I kind of know where my life is headed. I'm an ordinary girl. I, I, I'm, I'm betrothed to be married now and I'm probably just going to pick grain and go to the well once a day and that's going to be my life. This is the way things are now and I think that's one of the most dangerous things that followers of Jesus can say. Oh, this is just the way things are now. I'm just going to be kind of managing the kids for the next several years because we're a young family. I'll always be stuck in this dead-end job and I'll never have joy or excitement. I'll just kind of try to survive every week. I'll just try to get through another Christmas. I'll just try to be a pretty good Christian. Is that what your heart longs for this morning? Is that what your soul longs for? To be a good person? That's why Jesus literally moved heaven and earth and planned that invasion plan so that you could be nice? I mean, that's a part of it, and that's good. But God came to be in a relationship with you this morning, to have your heart come alive, to not go through one more Christmas and go through the motions. It's so you can say yes to Jesus, because that baby became a man who is your Savior. And he's calling out to you in the middle of your unlikely circumstances, in the middle of your ordinary. There is no ordinary that God can't break into. If I can come to a teenage girl in Nazareth, where can I not show up in your life? Where can I not show up in your life? And as and, and I listen to people, and especially people in the church, one of my biggest concerns, and I think the danger is that the greatest danger to our spiritual lives is not always immorality or addiction. It's living dry, boring, unimaginative lives as followers of Jesus. That's it. God did not call you to simply get by or to just survive. And we believe what I call the justa lie. Everybody say justa. And it goes a little something like this you fill in that blank with whatever it is. Oh, you know, Pastor John, it's great, you know, Mary and everything, but I'm just a teacher, I'm just a stay at home parent, I'm just an accountant. I'm just a nurse. Whatever it is, you fill in the blank. No, as followers of Jesus, we know that because the church is not a building, the church is you, right? You are the church. And every Sunday when we leave this building, the church literally leaves the building. Hope Des Moines never ends, right? Hope, Hope Elam never ends because wherever you go, that's where the church goes. You are the church. And the Spirit of God lives in you. So we don't say, oh, I'm just a teacher. We say, praise God that you're a teacher because we need the spirit of the living God moving and living and active in our schools. Amen? Praise God. Praise God that you're a stay-at-home parent because think of all those other stay-at-home parents that you can connect with and share the love of Jesus with. Thank God that you're an accountant and you, even if you don't like sitting in your cubicle every single day, thank God that he's put you there because there's people that are hurting and need somebody to talk to. Thank God that you go to the same grocery store every week and connect with that cashier because they're going through a difficult divorce right now and they just need somebody to give them the time of day and smile and thank them for being there. Thank God that he's put you in that spot. God has not put you in the position that you are in, whether it's unideal or not. He has not put you there simply to exist. He's put you there for a purpose. When we say yes to Jesus, we discover the purpose to which he's called us to. God breaks into Mary's life, and he wants to break into your life this morning as well. So first, let God invade your ordinary, and secondly, receive the interruption. Back to the story. Luke chapter 1, receive the interruption. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Imagine being a 14-year-old girl that's not married and hearing this for the first time, okay? Just put yourself in Mary's shoes. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. Oh, Darn it, I was going to name him Bill or something. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will have no end. Now if I marry, if we're like Mary, after I get done picking myself off the ground in shock and awe and horror at what I just heard, I think my, my response to the angel would have been, and maybe this isn't a different text that I haven't read yet, but Mary said to Gabriel, Gabriel, Right, yeah, that's a really good one, Gabriel. I think you've got the wrong gal. I think you should go a couple houses down because I am not your, I'm Mary from Nazareth. What are you thinking? But she doesn't respond that way. Look at verse 38. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Second thing we learn about Mary, she received the interruption. If you are think, think about it, there's a lot of different interruptions that come into our lives. Are we going to receive it like that and say, this is who I am. God, may your word to me be fulfilled. I, I trust you. God is always trying to get our attention. How do you receive the interruptions that come to you? Parents and grandparents, for some of you is this morning and you're watching your cute little kiddo up here on the stage and you thought, well, I'm, I'm not coming to church for me this morning. I'm coming to take some pictures on my iPhone so I can put in my slideshow to my cute kid i put up with the sermon for a while. And all of a sudden, God gets a hold of your heart and you start to get like emotional, a little weepy, watching your child up here, realizing that in a few years, they're not going to be up there. What do you do in moments like that? What do you do when kind of God gives you those little winks or those little whispers? Followers of Jesus are always asking two questions. God, what are you telling me? And what am I going to do about it? And a lot of us will live our entire adult Christian lives never getting to the second one. Oh, I got a warm fuzzy in church. Great. Do you want to know why you got that warm fuzzy? Because the Holy Spirit is going crazy in your heart right now, saying, Mom and Dad, Grandpa and Grandma, slow down and breathe it in this Christmas. I know He's telling me that. Don't miss your kids. Don't miss your grandkids. Don't miss those loved ones that are around you. Don't take that for granted. You're at a company Christmas party, and everybody's going crazy and maybe having a little bit too much to drink, and you're sitting over in the corner maybe by yourself or with one or two other people, and you're like, why am I, why am I so restless inside? Everybody, I'm surrounded by people, and everybody is having a great time, and yet you're so lonely because you're surrounded by people this Christmas, but you don't have anybody in your life that actually knows you. And God says, that's because you were created for that. Not to be everybody's best friend, but every single one of us needs a few people in our lives that we know and that know us. And when I say know us, I'm not talking about your drinking buddies, or your golfing buddies, or just people that you have, you know, share niceties with on Sunday morning while you're sipping your coffee. Who knows you? Do you have those people in your life and you're sitting there at your company Christmas party saying, I'm surrounded by people. I'm more connected than ever online and social media, but I've never been more lonely. God, what are you telling me and what am I going to do about it? Would you believe it or not that Jesus' classroom is always in session and it's called your life? And if you're willing to open up your heart, he's going to be showing you things all the time and interrupting your life. You're out shopping for Christmas presents for one of our Advent projects for our refugee families from Afghanistan or those from local elementary schools here. You're out and you're like, we're doing our good Christian duty, you know? It's a good Christmas Advent project here to do and we're going to get some Gifts for needy kids, it's going to be great. And then all of a sudden you see the joy in your kids and picking out those gifts or you realize yourself, oh wait, this isn't just a cute little Christmas project. There are actual kids the same age as my kids that are coming from broken homes that don't know where their next meal is going to come from, that have seen their parents stripped away from them, that have come to a brand new land and they have nothing. These are like real actual people with stories. oh wait, Maybe serving isn't an event that we do or a project that we accomplish. Maybe servants is who we are. Not just once a year on feel-good times around Christmas and Easter or Thanksgiving. It's who we are as a church. What do you do when God gets your attention? What do you do when God divinely interrupts your life? Do you say yes to him or do you move on with your life Notice how Mary responds, "I am the Lord's servant," she answered. "May your word to me be fulfilled." What an answer for a teenage girl. What an answer for a teenage girl. I'm sure there was doubts, I'm sure there was fear, I'm sure there was questioning, but how was Mary able to respond like that? Two things: "I am the Lord's servant." She, that's her first response. "This is who I am. This is who God says I am, regardless of how I feel. The first thing we know about Mary, she had a rock-solid understanding of her her identity. Do you? Do you know who you are? Could you describe who you are without telling me what you do from 9 to 5? Could you tell me who you are without your title or your position? Do you know who you are? I've talked to so, and this isn't just for people that are working. I've talked to so many of you in our community that are retired, and one of the hardest things the first couple years is you have no clue who you are. Why? Because everything you are was rooted in what you did. Let your identity be the foundation of your life, of who God says you are. Mary says, regardless of where the road takes me, I am the Lord's servant. Something was settled and rooted in her life. Some of you, your identity is based on something that happened to you a long time ago a wound or some trauma or something that somebody said to you or some abuse that happened to you and your identity is fully based on something that happened or that somebody, what somebody said. You are a son or daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he is lavishing his love on you this morning. He delights in you and he rejoices over you as singing and you will never be more loved than you are right now. Receive that. Mary knew that, and the second thing we knew about Mary is her willingness to surrender to God's plan. She says, I don't understand it all, but a lot of us, we say, I'm going to wait and see how this all plans out, God, and then I'll be obedient to you. Mary says, actually, I don't don't get it. God, I don't understand why you're doing this in my life, and it's actually rather frustrating because you've kind of derailed everything I had going, but I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to be obedient to you even if I don't see the finish line. And so many of us, we base our obedience on our ability to understand what God is doing. And God says, that's not faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Trust in God this morning, and Mary demonstrates that for us this morning. Mary says yes to Jesus. I mean, think about how Mary could have responded she said, How could she could have said, I, God, I'm going to be bitter and angry about, about this. I, I can't believe that's true. I'm going to go rant about it on Facebook. I'm sure that's what Mary thought about doing, right? Imagine being a 14 year old girl and you're pregnant and your fiance is not the dad. And this is a tough predicament for Joseph as well. And having to explain that, you have to understand that the law of Moses, the Torah in those days, says, What do you do with somebody in adultery? Remember with Jesus and the adulterous woman? What do you do? Stoned Stone to death. This is like Jerry Springer. This is like Dateline or something. This is scandal right in the middle of a little Christmas story, right? Open your eyes and see Christmas in a brand new way. This is a disaster. This is a mess. And Mary has every right to be ticked. God, you have messed up my life. You could say that Jesus was ruining Mary's life for the better. And yet as she said yes to Jesus, I don't want to miss this she said yes to Jesus, she discovered her purpose. In her obedience, she discovered her purpose. In her surrender, she discovered her purpose. And for some of you, you haven't quite found that because it's on the other side of your deepest pain. Your purpose is actually on the, it's on the other side of working through whatever barrier or obstacle or wound that you're letting define your life right now. And if you would invite Jesus into that, As Mary did and questioned, Mary pondered these things in her heart. She questioned God, she doubted God, and she wrestled through it, and then she discovered her purpose. But you could say from an outside perspective, God, you are ruining my life (laughs) for the better. Makes me uh, think about (laughs) a couple years into marriage, and and guys, you, you know this if you married up which is every single uh, husband here today, you married up. Uh, We know this, that there is something in us. I remember the first couple years of marriage, something in me thought I could just keep living like I had before. Something in me just said, you know, I'm just going to keep on living my bachelor life and keep on doing things the way that I'm doing. And then you get married and you marry a woman that loves you enough that wants the very best for you. And I distinctly remember this moment. We were sitting in our house, little apartment, about a couple years into marriage, and we were sitting at the dining room table. And I'm thinking back, and I had just had it with my wife. I'm like, Tiffany, I am so frustrated with you. For two years, you buy healthy groceries, (laughs) and you, like, tell me to go to bed at a decent time to get enough sleep, and you're, like, telling me, like, you should, like, exercise and move your body during the day, and, like... Hey, you know, when you're struggling in life, she's like, I'm not a dude, and I'm not God, so maybe you should start a men's group, and you should have other Christian men in your life to encourage you, and like, maybe you should go do that, and she's saying all these crazy things like that, and I just, I tell you what, I'd had enough, and I remember that night, I was just like inside, and every ounce of selfishness being ripped away from me, and with every ounce of pride that I had left, just came out of me, and I said, Tiffany, Tiffany, You are ruining my life for the better. And we just rolled on the floor laughing. You are ruining my life for the better because I had assumed that the point of marriage was to make me happy instead of making me holy. I had assumed that the point of marriage was I wanted, I wanted somebody that would just go along with everything I was already doing. And I realized, it took me a couple years, because I got a thick head, but it took me a couple years to realize, I don't need somebody to just come along and bless what I'm doing. I don't, I don't want somebody to just let me get my way. I need somebody to tell me and remind me every day who I am and who God says I am. And that's called love. That Even if I don't want it, that's called love. You have derailed my life for the better. And some of us want to live the Christian life and tack Jesus on the side and just keep going on with the same priorities and the same schedule and stay in my little comfort zone and show up at church and get the warm fuzzies and go through the motions. And God says, that's not why I created you. There are two important dates in your life, the day you were born and the day that you find out why you were born. And it may not be what you do from nine to five, Let God break into your ordinary so that you can embrace the interruptions that he's putting in your life. God is no different. For some of you, you're saying, I want it my way, and God says, maybe you need a new way. Maybe you need a new way. Not just individually, but for us as a church, and I was thinking about that this week, thinking about this text, how God breaks in and, and interrupts our lives. This whole church merger, the fact that we're sitting together as a church is a testament to God's faithfulness. This has been a year of interruptions. God, you interrupted my worship style. God, you interrupted my preaching. God, you interrupted the the way that I like preaching, the way that I like prayer, the way that I like worship, the way that I like my church, the way that I like my ministries. And we're forced to learn new things. And I will be honest with you, talking about this Watch Night event, which primarily has been based in the black church and the African-American community. And until last year at this time, we just ran out of time because we just started the church, but until last year at this time, I didn't know what watch night is, and I'm rather embarrassed about it. But I want you to hear something loud and clear. When you encounter something like that, and you feel a little bit of guilt, and then you feel a little bit of that condemnation sneaking in, you stomp that out right there and then, because there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Okay? But here's the thing. God, what are you telling me, and what am I going to do about it? When you encounter something like that, and as a white man from Story City, Iowa, why would I know what watch night is? Right? But I didn't leave it there. I got curious. And I said, this is a value to us. This is a value to my brothers and sisters. Therefore, it's going to be a value to me, and it's a value to those, maybe more importantly, that are out in the neighborhood. That that is an important tradition for, and so I'm going to get curious and yet, for some of you, you're going to say, no, nah, that's not really my thing. That's nice for the black community, and that can be their little tradition, but I'm just going to do my tradition. And yet at the same time, there might be some of you that are saying, for services on Christmas Eve, are you guys crazy? What are you doing, right? I- I'm not going to do that. I've got family in from out of town, or we're traveling, we're leaving. Serve on Christmas? It's Christmas. Why would I serve uh, be a part of a serving team? on Chris- Why would I invite a friend? There's so many services. I got other things to do. And some of you might say, no, nah, Christmas Eve isn't my thing. Oh, this is the, the black thing, and this is the white thing. That's not who we are anymore. That's not who we are, and I hate to break it to you, but we're not a black church, and we're not a white church. We're the beloved community that's laser focused on Jesus Christ. Amen? That's who we are. So maybe it's time to start some new traditions. Amen? To get out of our comfort zone and say, nope, that's not my tradition, but I'm going to show up at watch night and I'm going to stand next to my brothers and sisters because that's who we are. I'm going to make that my new tradition. God didn't create you to be comfortable. He created you to have your life changed and help change other people's lives, to reach out and be a part of a beloved community. And I'm going to show up at Christmas Eve. It may not be my thing. Oh, you've got family coming into town? Great. We'll save five or six more seats for them. You bring them and keep inviting because we have the greatest news in the history of the world. We're not going to just come and sing some carols. We're going to come and tell people about the love of Jesus Christ that can change their life. That's why we celebrate. That's why we do these events. Let God break into your ordinary, receive the interruption, and finally, embrace the upper story. Embrace the upper story. It's important to know that every story in the Bible, including Mary's story, well, there's two stories going on. There's an upper story from God's perspective. Everybody say upper. upper. There's a lower story. Everybody say lower. lower. There's an upper story and a lower story. From an upper story perspective, God is putting together the greatest rescue plan that's ever been put together. And he's getting ready to invade enemy territory. He's ready to send the angels down and rescue the world from sin and death and the power of hell. From a lower story perspective, we got scandal because there's a 14-year-old girl pregnant and nobody knows who the dad is. Oh, wait, in an upper story, God is going to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt. But from a lower story, there's this man named Moses that's scared out of his mind to lead. From an upper story, you you get the idea. It goes back and forth and back and forth. How do you view your life these days? What sort of lens do you see your life through? From an upper story perspective of what God is capable of or from a limited human standpoint that says, I don't get it, so maybe God's not capable of it. I'm going to put these limitations upon God. Mary does the same thing while she's with Elizabeth. In her song, in the Magnificat, Mary says this. He has helped his servant Israel. Oh, what? What? Did you just see what happened? Mary just got out of the way. He has helped to serve in Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised his ancestors. You know why this worked? Because Mary got out of the way. This is true for individuals, for companies, for businesses, for families, and for churches. When nobody cares who gets the credit, great things can be accomplished. And Mary got out of the way, and she says... I'm scared out of my mind. God, you've interrupted my life for good here. But it's not about me. I am the Lord's servant, and I am here to serve. What if that, what if that was our heartbeat this Christmas? What if being a part of a church wasn't just about getting what you want out of it, it of showing up and saying, I am the Lord's servant. God, may your word to me be fulfilled. I'm here to serve. I'm here to invite. I'm here to love. God, I want to live my life from an upper story perspective. I want to get out of the way and be a part of what you're doing in this community. And God, you didn't put me here at Hope Elam just to consume. You put me here to bless other people, to show up and say, whatever the need is, I'll meet it. Because serving isn't something we do, it's who we are. And so I'm going to sign up to serve for Christmas Eve of services. I'm going to show up for watch night. I'm going to help with the drive through I'm going to show up for community night. I'm going to serve food. I'm going to be an usher. I'm going to be a greeter. I love the fact that our kids and our students and our young adults are leading us in worship today and serving on stage and off the stage. Praise God for that. They're leading the way. And they're calling out to you as adults, this is what it means to be the church. Set an example for the believers that our young people are doing, and that's what they're doing. Watch. Be a part of what God's doing. Live with an upper story perspective. Let God break into your ordinary, receive the interruption, and live your life a part of the larger story that God is telling this Christmas. God, what are you telling me today, and what am I going to do about it? Amen? Let's go to the manger and worship him together. Whether you're online or in the room, let's stand up together and let's worship our Savior that has been born. Thanks so much for joining us to find out more about Hope Elam follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope-elum.org